You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. We live in a world that is so rapidly changing. Heard a phrase the other day where people were saying we live in a post-Christian era. But actually said we don't. Because about 40% of people haven't even heard of Jesus. It's almost like we're getting to a pre-Christian era. They did a survey about Easter. I think 50% didn't even know Easter was about Jesus. And that seems to be coming the norm. And I just want to talk this morning. Maybe begin this way. Who amongst you is perfect? And I know Dave don't have to say anything. Seriously, who amongst you is perfect? Who gets everything right all the time in our Christian walk? Anybody? No. And neither do I. So that's the basis. I want to start. We're all on the same playing field. We're all at the same level. We all mess up at some point. And that's what I want you to think about when I'm giving or sharing what I want to share. Something that came out at conference in one of the seminars we went to was that we've all been made in the image of God. All of us. And God is working in all of us since the fall to restore that image in us. How we live, how we behave. And what really struck me, I had this a few months ago actually, it kind of mulled and didn't go away. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne Love and faithfulness go before you. God is justice and righteousness, who he is. You could have a mental picture of some of the, you know, some of the thrones mentioned in the Old Old Testament were enormous, very ornate, ivory, gold and everything else. And you could almost imagine that the foundation there, and you could write the words, you know, justice and righteousness. But actually it's talking about who God is. Not the kind of throne he sits on. It's about who he is, his personality. Every part of his being is about justice and about righteousness. And in the book of Amos, we read, let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. The word for righteousness and justice in the Hebrew apparently are very, very similar. You could almost say it's opposite sides of a coin. Very similar And in our day society, it's easy to talk about justice because it seems to have become the God of the age. Justice, you know, equality, that's the one. It's about justice. But how many times are we hearing righteousness talked about? And it seems almost the church can engage at justice. But even the church doesn't talk about righteousness very often. But they're both the same coin. Justice, according to what I've read in the Hebrew, it means... It's about the Bible makes social justice justice a mandate of faith and a fundamental expression of Christian discipleship. Justice. The word justice means to make right. And first and foremost, apparently, it's a relational term. Relationship between God and man, between man and man, and even man and our natural creation. It's a natural term that gives a wholeness of, of dependency. It means loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. And it is rooted in the character and the nature of God. So as God is just and loving and righteous, that is how we have to portray him to the world. 
Otherwise, it's not God we're portraying. So it's living in a right relationship with God and others. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, he says this, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the law require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And that's not just the corporate you, I think that's the individual you. What good, do, good do, does God expect of you? The word righteousness, the Hebrew, gives this as one of the chief attributes of God. And it's continually being God's righteousness, continually repeated throughout the Old Testament and the, and the New. Righteousness. And it actually means ethical conduct. Doing the right thing. That's another thing that in our day and age doesn't seem to be a high point. Ethics. Half the time it's what can we get away with. But justice. Relationship. Doing the right thing for one another. In Leviticus it talks about do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight or quantity. Use scales and weights that are accurate. When you measure dry materials or liquid, make sure they're accurate. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's brought us from a place of slavery into a place of freedom. And what he's saying, but don't cheat. Use the right scales. Don't take from one another what you shouldn't. This is interesting from Psalm 1, verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And there's no in-between ground there. He seems to say you're righteous or you're not. He's watching over one way, but actually the other way is going to lead to destruction. Quite strong words. Righteous. So being righteous, according to the Bible, is living in accordance with divine and moral law. It's about being genuine, about being excellent, being ethical. And for us as Christians, we find this divine law in the Bible. We find that that is our guide. It's the thing that keeps us rooted and we build our lives on. Isaiah chapter 1 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the cause of the widow. And you think, that's not just about those two acts, what else goes in between about the oppressed and the, the poor, the homeless, all the other things that come into that one phrase about, you know, correcting oppression. But we have to be honest, we're living in a world that don't believe in absolute truth. They don't believe that. If I say my faith is based on that, they say that might be good for you, but it's not something I believe in. And it almost becomes what's true for me can be true for me. It doesn't have to be true for you. And that's, we can all get on fine like that. So if we say Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, a lot of societies don't believe that. I don't believe that. Rick Warren, in the seminar we went to, actually was quoted from Rick Warren. It wasn't Rick Warren, it was quoted something he said. 
And he says there's two lies that are prevalent in our society at this time. Number one, if you disagree with a person's lifestyle, then you must either hate them or fear them. Just because you disagree, our society now says you either hate them or you fear them. So if you disagree, and I heard this on a program not long ago about introducing, teaching to our six-year-olds about alternative lifestyles, anyone who doesn't agree is a bigot. And they shouldn't be allowed to influence what's going on. And the second thing they said, if you love somebody, then you must agree what they do and the way they behave, because that's what love is. The two absolute lies. I don't think somebody's lifestyle is wrong just because I hate them. I want them to have the best life they can yes. because I want to base what I believe on what God says. And if their lives are not, I think that's the best life in God. And if ever you stand and say, I can't agree with that, you put yourself up there to a, they think you hate them. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And just because you love somebody, does that mean you agree with everything they do? Doesn't love try to stop people getting into places that's going to harm them? And yet you don't have to be out there very long before you hear them coming at you with all the things you hate us, you don't love us. Otherwise, if you did, you would agree with us. Job says in verse 37, chapter 37, the Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. As mighty and great is God, he does not oppress. And if we live in justice and righteousness, we should never be the ones that cause oppression on anybody. We're called to love one another, even if we don't agree. But we're not supposed to tell lies when we disagree and say, oh, it doesn't matter, because these things do matter. Psalm 103 says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Think of it, not just some oppressed, not just the ones who agree with us, but for all the oppressed. There's oppressed people in the world that I even believe is in Jesus. Shouldn't we be trying to help them as well? Do you know these Muslims being persecuted in some parts of the world? They're oppressed, shouldn't that? Because in God, he's concerned about that as well. It's not just about because we, we all agree to the same thing. It's about justice for all. That's our God saying that, not anybody else. God. Justice and righteousness for all the oppressed. Psalm 36 says, Your righteousness, O God, is like the highest mountains, and your justice like the greatest deep. And when David wrote this, I'm sure he hadn't seen Mount Everest which is nearly six miles high. And I'm sure he had no idea that there's a Marianas Trench between Japan in the Western Pacific, between Japan and Papua New Guinea, that is seven miles deep. I'm sure he didn't. But he's talking about God's justice and righteousness. The highest thing on earth and the deepest thing on earth, God is beyond that. And that's what his throne is based on. It's the foundation. So how does God want us to live? 
Does anyone else live justice and righteousness in us? I'd like to look at um, just a couple of scriptures or little suggestions about in our world we can get pulled in and the world's ways can actually begin to affect us. We're called to be salt and light. But what does the Bible say? If the salt stops being salty, it's no good. Scripture says, 1 Timothy chapter 5, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And it goes on, the worker deserves his pay. He deserves to be paid a good day's wage for a good day's work. How many of you like a bargain? Anybody here? Oh, I see that hand, Jasmine. I see two hands, actually. You like bargains? You like cheap food, cheap clothes? You like, who likes chocolate? Oh, come on. Thank you, Sabrina. One, one person, honest. Do you know, at the end of the day, somebody pays the bill. And if you think you're getting a cheap deal, I reckon 90% of the time, somebody else is paying another part of that bill for you. Whether it be in sweatshops, wherever. In India, wherever. Wherever factories now move to the cheapest place because he can get the cheapest jobs done. Or the chocolate that's being picked in some parts of Africa by children. Or the rooms where people sewing things are put in rooms and then the doors lock so they can't get out. Somebody's paying somewhere. What we think is cheap, somebody else is adding to that bill. We're told don't use dishonest standards, you know. Don't cheat on people. What about today, you know, when somebody says, I'll give you a quote on the building. And you have no idea, because you can't see it, whether they've done everything they said they would do in the quote. So you're trusting in somebody's integrity. We had our house altered when we moved in. And we looked in part of the loft and it didn't look like they put any insulation in there at all. And we thought they were going to, and they didn't. Either somebody forgot or they just thought, well, nobody's ever going to know. It's about being honest in our relationships with people. When we say I'm going to do it that way, we do it. Being honest. I think one of the things that most of us get involved in, and I'm sure you will have come across it in your life, I'd like to read a story from Matthew 22. An account of some people had with Jesus. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. So they butted him up. And now the question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? And Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? They brought the coin. 
And they said, Caesar's. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they were amazed. How many times have you been offered a job and they say, if you give me cash, I'll do it cheaper? How many times? Anybody had that? How easy is it just to go along with that and say, oh, I'm trusting you're going to do the honourable thing? I am not a labour guy, all right? I felt sorry for Ed Balls a couple of years ago. He had a plumber came to do a job for him. And he asked the plumber for a receipt at the end when he paid him the money. And he must have said it in Parliament or somewhere. I think we should all do that. And they laughed at him. They scorned him, ridiculed him. Because you know what so often happens? I've got the cash. It's not even not paying VAT. It's in my pocket. I don't pay any tax. Nobody knows, do they? And you're happy. I'm happy. That's fine. But if you look at what Jesus says, give what you're supposed to give as tax. There's a huge black economy in our country. Huge. And if everybody paid the tax they should, maybe we wouldn't be struggling for police on the streets. We wouldn't be struggling for some children can't have medicines. We wouldn't be struggling that hospitals are crowded. And it's not about not paying how many people are taking from the system that they shouldn't be taking either. Making false declarations on forms so they get more money. Come on, is this just? Is this righteous living? And yet that's what Jesus is calling us to. Integrity, honesty. If you owe, pay. If you get benefit, get the right amount. Don't try and take it from other people. And that's what he's basically doing. I saw a program where a guy, a guy had cheated the system. He'd been claiming benefit, yet working. And they had these people who were paying normal tax. They had no option, you know. Pay even before you get the money. And he said, I'm not, I'm not taking money from you. It's from them. And these people were incensed with him. He could not see that I'm not taking it from you. It, it's them. He couldn't understand that them only get the money from you. Being honest, full of integrity. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to be. And I'm not saying anybody's doing it here. I'm just saying the temptations to get involved in it. Tax, it's only tax. Oh. Do you know this firm's companies pay thousands of pounds to people to help them find ways that they don't have to pay tax? Amazon. Billions of profit, yet they spend pittance in tax comparatively. Starbucks, do the same. We move it around. Oh, no. It's not integrity. It's not honest. I don't think it's godly. But Jesus, in that same conversation, he said something else. It wasn't just give to Caesar what due is to Caesar, give to God what is due to God. And this is the biggest debate. Old Testament, there's no problem, it was tithing. In the New Testament, do we tithe? Is it a principle or isn't it a principle? And there'll be arguments for both sides. One day, Pharisees, or Jesus was talking to them, and he said, you're hypocrites. It's not gentle language, is it? You're hypocrites. 
You give a tenth of your spices, your crops, everything else, but you've stopped or you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And this is where I come in. This speaks to me. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. For me, he ties the two together. And for 40 odd years as a family, we've done this, we tithe. And I can tell you now, I know John and Andrea do, I know Verity and Joe do. We do it, not because we've agreed on this, some it was our lifestyle. I've heard things on the internet, I've just been looking, oh, you don't, you don't give, it's not about money, it was about goods. That's all, it was about crops you've grown. But actually in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, if you've got to go a long way to take your goods to the temple, sell it. Sell it for silver and take the silver and give the silver. So there was a bit, and isn't our tithe, isn't it the labor of our hands? We've worked. I mean, if you like Dave, they make physical things. Other people sell insurances and things that are not quite physical. It's not quite the same thing, but it's still the time, the energy you put into it. Church gets accused of all you want is money. Well, actually, if this church didn't have money, it wouldn't be here. Come on, it's a thing that everybody needs. I know that as the three families on the leadership team, we tithe here because this is our home. It's our spiritual home. It's where we're getting fed. It's, to me, it's important. They will tell you the rent's going up on this place, hiring the room. You know, things go up. For me, tithing is a principle that blesses us as a family. I'm not, you have to come to your own conclusions. But I believe I want to belong to a church that is generous. I remember a phrase Bob said years ago, all over the world, we should have fingerprints on stuff going on. And we've cut back on all of that. And I want to get to the place, and I'm sure John does, that we start giving what comes in part of that away. We want to have fingerprints on people and we've got half of what we've got. It was a brilliant presentation that I think that Carol brought about the, the people making bricks in Pakistan. Whole families sold into bondage, generation from generation. A child was born into it because they could never pay off the debt. And £2,000 can set a whole family free, pay rent on a property for a year and give them means to make a living. And it's not just mum, dad and two children. It's grandparents, parents, brothers, family, the whole lot. One freedom can affect 16 to 20 lives. £2,000. It's not a lot of money, is it? It sets one family totally free. And they were earning more in the first few weeks of having being set free than they ever did on the day-to-day -day slog seven days a week, morning till night. That's the, that's the fellowship I want to belong to. And it's about generosity. Some of the things, if we want to live righteous lives, the Bible's very clear. Don't get drunk. Leads to indiscretion. Gets you into problems. They'll tell you, the street pastor will tell you what getting drunk leads to. He says, don't do it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit instead. Yep. Don't let any foul language come from your mouth. Sometimes, I've heard Christians swearing. We were at a conference this week. One of the main speakers was doing a rude gesture on, on stage. It's Dutch, so whether it didn't mean the same thing there, 
but it caused a bit of upset amongst people because it's not the thing you expect. The, people, the world looks at us. Are they seeing Jesus in us or do they see the world in us? Do we behave exactly the same? And I'm not talking about we're above them. I'm not talking about that. It's about how we live our lives. Our society now is changing laws in Parliament that totally undermined our faith and belief in the Bible. The, the seminar we went to was on gender dysphoria. <coughs> that now is going to be taught to our kids six years old. The biggest consultation the government ever asked from the people and nearly 70% said this is a bad thing, don't do it, got passed in Parliament by about 400 and odd votes to about 24 against. They asked the question, but they have no interest in doing what you say. And yet the figures are these. About 80 odd percent gender dysphoric people think about committing suicide. 46 percent have tried. And about 30 odd percent are, have got depression and everything else. It's just been removed as being a mental health problem. Just been removed. And do you know what the sad thing is? They go through all the alignment treatment, everything else, all the medications, the surgery and everything, and the suicide rates and the other rates are just the same as when they, before they had it done. Now you tell me what we're trying to push on people. It's become more of a, a way, of, you know, it's, it's got this, I don't know, power behind it. And actually, 0.76% of the population is in this category. 0.76% but they've got the ear of the people who make choices and decisions. And the, one of the lies is, again, that came out, just because these things get passed does not mean to say the majority of people are for it. And yet you're made to believe as if it is. So if you say anything, you're the odd one out. No, it's not true. The majority are against, but it's what they call a tipping point. It can sway democracies by a vocal minority that just get the right ear. And what about marriage? Some of these things are even entering into the church. Marriage. One man, one woman. A man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and there'll be one flesh. And that's not just physical, there's a spiritual joining, I believe, as well. About honouring marriage. The marriage bed should be honoured. It's talking about adultery, but I think it's also saying... Why do people have sex before? Isn't this what celibacy is about? But how would you ever talk about celibacy anymore? You don't hear the words. Why not wait till marriage? Why not? And yet the Bible's full about sexual immorality and the things you should do and the things we shouldn't do. And yet we change the law. So you automatically, by believing this, become a bigot or something with phobic on the end. But I believe God's laws are the truth and best way for society. Do you know every sociological study they've done on children says a child does better with a mother and father and the best results is when they're in a loving marriage relationship. And we say we want the best for our children. The rights of our children are paramount until another group of people have more rights than the child. Even though the figures show that, 
We'll turn our back on that and we'll do that. And if anybody here is about, what, 40 below? For the last 30 or 35 years, you have been inundated from the media, from the television, that this is a normal, acceptable way of life. And we've bought it hook, like line and sinker, and it's now even prevalent in the church. And we see lives being ruined. But it's normal. It's expected. How many Christians today are living together before they get married? It's almost expected. It's a norm. But it's true. More and more Christians live together before they're married. But you know what the fact is? If a couple, not just Christians, if a couple live together before they get married and then marry, there's a 33% more chance they will divorce than if they just got married. So it doesn't even work. We're told constantly, flee from sexual immorality. Come on. The word's full of it. What Christians should be doing is standing out. And we've all got, I'm not, I've said to you earlier, we're on the same playing field. But it doesn't do anything to say this is what God's asking us, whether we always fulfill it or not. This is the standard. And we love people and that's what we want. I want to just finish with one thing. I'll skip the rest. Hosea. He says, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness upon you. We've all got unplowed ground in our lives. Maybe it's areas we don't want the spotlight to go. Maybe it's areas that we have, you know, God might ask me to do that and I'm not comfortable with that. But you know, on cloud ground, it's almost like God saying, come on, get it ready. Let us put your seed into that. Sow, sow the seed there. It can produce a wonderful harvest. Areas of our lives not even been touched yet. As Andrea said about, about God's got a big imagination, bigger than that, and he knows what he wants for us. I'll finish with this. I want to quote from Shakespeare. Never done this before, but it really hit me when I heard this the other day. This above all, to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night, the day, thou canst never be false to any man. Amazing words. To your own self be true, and as night follows day, you will then never be false to any man. So when somebody looks at you, when you're true to yourself and know what you're like, and you've saw things with God, you know that what he sees is what he's going to get. Too often now, what we see is not what we get. And the old adage, I can't hear what you're saying because I can see what you're doing. That's true. Finish with the Bible read now. We'll finish with this. Isaiah 58. Then let your light, I'm sorry, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. But your righteousness will go before you. Thank you. Let's stand and pray.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person in this room who has lived a Christian life that has honoured you. Yes, we've all blown it at times and we all have the odd car crash moment in our spiritual walk. But God, aside from that, there are some wonderful people that I honour before you, Lord God, for living a life of justice and of righteousness. I also pray for any of us who are feeling challenged by one or even just by one thing that Paul has said this morning. I pray that you would not let us have a spirit of condemnation, but of inspiration to live a better life for you, knowing that you have got the best plans for us, but we need to come into line with your way of doing things. Help us, Lord. And for our nation, I pray, Father God, let us hear the sound of hearts returning to you. Let us hear the cry in the streets of what must I do to be saved. Let there be a revival in this town in Jesus' name as people turn to you, as they start to realise sometimes the loud voices aren't always right. Sometimes the things that they've listened to and then walked in haven't worked out for them and they need something more. As people start to recognise their need of a saviour in Jesus' name, let there be a turning to Christ in this nation. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.